Welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and I'm very excited today to be bringing you a whole new branch of science which is turning cellular biology on its head and best of all putting our health control well and truly in our own hands. And to discuss this, I have with me the author of a fascinating new book, The Biology of Belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Welcome, Bruce. Well, thank you so much, Virginia, for this wonderful opportunity. Now, I believe you were a former medical professor at the University of Wisconsin and research scientist at uh, Stanton, Stanford University? Stanford University. Okay. And you're no longer there? You've sort of (laughs) even evolved past that. Well, it, it got to the point that uh, I started to realize that the science I was embarking on, this was about 20-some years ago, okay. uh, was going in a different direction than everyone else around me. All my colleagues were so investing in the genes. And uh, my research on cloned stem cells, which uh, uh, you know, people are talking about stem cells today as this hot thing. I, I actually started cloning stem cells in 1967, so okay. uh, I learned a lot, <laughs> and the cells taught me things that, uh, about their behavior and I, through my experiments that I had published that contradicted what I was teaching medical students in regard to how life works. I was teaching medical students that were essentially biochemical robots controlled by genes, and the new research that I that I acquired from the stem cells revealed a completely different understanding that that we are these dynamically controlled organisms in interacting with the environment and our perceptions of the environment, and so that we're not victims of genes because we have the ability to to change our interactions in the environment, change our perceptions of the environment, and those are what control our genes and our behavior. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating thing. Maybe some of our listeners may not realize that you can't just sort of dump a stem cell into a heart, for example, and expect it to grow into some more heart cells. Isn't the the thing that's holding the whole thing up is not knowing how to make those little cells behave or form the structure that we want them to form? But, yeah, and, and the issue was because at one point we were thinking that the programs were yeah. inside the genes exactly. to make this work. Yes, exactly. And then they did the genome project. It turned out that the belief system that they had going into the genome project required in excess of 100,000 genes to make the complex structure of a human. And when the genome project results were revealed, there were less than 25,000 genes. Okay. This shocked them because right. their whole belief system was based on this whole thing was going to be run by genes. And when there were so few genes, they realized they didn't understand the mechanism of the control and this is why the desires for genetic engineering and the, the, the concept, oh, we're going to fix all our diseases with the genome project, when the results showed up, it said, absolutely not. You don't even know how it works. So, Precisely. Uh, and, and in your book, you have how, how, how many genes a slug has, for example. Can you tell the listeners about that? Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting because uh, one of the first genetic models is this little worm that it's so small, you can't even see it really with your naked eye. It's at the level, just you can hardly see it. And it has 1,271 cells. It's a genetic model. They've studied it for years. And so here's a, an organism with 1,200 cells, and it has 24,000 genes. <laughs> and then they look at the human, and it has 25,000 genes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, there's 1,000 genes between this lowest life form and a human. And what was the point was, well, we thought genes control all the character and the complexities. like... 
No, you, you just have enough genes almost to make a worm, actually. There's something more, and that other part is a new genetics called epigenetics, mm. and it's a new leading edge of science. Uh, when we talk about the stuff that we're teaching in school right now, which is completely wrong, in fact, uh, called genetic control, meaning control by genes, the new science is called epigenetic control, and epi means above, like epidermis, above the dermis. So if you say epigenetic control, that literally says control above the genes, and that's the leading edge of science, and it's so exciting because it reveals that there are, that other things control genes, and it turns out the other things are our perceptions, the way we respond to life. Mm-hmm. And that means we can control ourselves. Yes, and how, how does that work? Well, what happens is is that we used to think the nucleus, uh, that's the structure in the cell that has all the genes, was the brain mm-hmm. of the cell. In fact, if you read any textbook, it'll intimate or just say it. The nucleus is the brain of the cell because that's where the genes are, and our belief was the genes control the cell. But much of the research that I, I was involved with in research 100 years ago revealed that you could actually remove the nucleus from a cell, meaning take all the genes out, and the cells, many of them live for two or more months. And that they're not just sitting there. They're doing everything they were doing before. And uh, they're living things. They're, they're not like pinballs. They bounce around. They have all the behaviors that we have. And w- what's interesting is, well, all the time we were teaching that the nucleus and the genes were the brain, and now we find out, well, you can throw the nucleus and genes out, and the cell still lives. What was the point? That wasn't the brain. And that's why the new science is so exciting, because when we understand how the brain works that controls the cell, we realize that genes didn't control biology but the cell controlled its own genes and that's the exciting part because that means we're not fixed uh like our the concept of genetic determinism that our life is determined by genes this is totally untrue Mm -hmm. that we can change the readout of our genes and we do it on a daily basis and we can rewrite our genetic code which is an unfortunate situation because now we realize that 95 percent of cancer uh, it's not genetic. It's actually a rewriting of the code of those person's cells. So it's like, whoa, new science. But very powerful because since we know that the mechanism of how the cell responds to the environment is called perception, then think about it this way. The old science, you want to fix something, you have to change the genes. The new science, you want to fix something, you change the perceptions. Yeah, and exactly. That's our power. It's a bit subtle, though, isn't it? Well, it's a tough thing because um, it, it turns out the, the medicine has separated the mind and body hundreds of years ago and never really brought them back together again. And the newest leading edge science actually is what connects the two to show that the mind and the body are totally connected together, that the mind is what controls the, the genes and the behavior, that the mind is all-powerful. And the relevance about that is... Well, we have two minds. We have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. and Nobody's realized the very fundamental difference between the two, and that's why we've always had so much problems in in trying to fix our lives by adjusting our beliefs, and and the reason is this. That we don't appreciate that we actually have consciousness. Oh, well, that's that's the part that's the new part, the the Mm. new mind part, and that's the one that gives us a chance to look back at ourselves and say, well, do you want to do this or not? And that's the one, that's the mind that has the power to change the other mind, the subconscious one. Mm. And yet the problem is uh, uh, people think that the subconscious mind and the conscious mind are connected, and they're really not in this regard that the subconscious mind is just a tape player. 
all it does is, is push the button and play the behavior, push the button and play the behavior. There's no thinking, and there's nobody in there. And this has been our big problem when we try to use, like, positive thinking or, you know, like uh, affirmations trying to change our lives is that that's the conscious mind trying to talk to the subconscious mind, but there's nobody in the subconscious mind. It's just a tape player. And the tape player, and now neuroscientists tell us, run the show 95 to 99% of the time. The, the mind, not our thinking mind, the subconscious mind runs us. Uh, many neuroscientists say 99% of the day is coming from the tape player that plays programs and not the one that we think with. So it's a big surprise for, for us these days to find out. A huge paradigm shift, isn't it? You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid, and I'm discussing the biology of belief with Dr. Bruce Lipton. So, Bruce, we were talking about the power of the conscious and subconscious mind and how basically it appears the subconscious mind is is the controller. Is this the case? Yes. I mean, just statistically, it is a million times more powerful than the conscious mind as an information processor. And secondly it operates 95 to 99% of every waking day. So basically says that the main programs that run our lives and our biology, so the programs run both the interior of your body and control what's going on in your health, but they also run the behavior in which you interact with the world. So these programs control both the in and exterior experiences. And what's interesting, as you just mentioned, is that uh, we have the two, but the subconscious one is the one that is the the real power control and 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 what's very interesting about that as i said is it's a tape player and it got programs in it and the, and here's the problem that we now realize is that from in utero development midway through pregnancy <laughs> the fetus is beginning to download programs and it's downloading uh sensations and experiences that the mother is having uh, via the placenta, the mother's emotional chemicals and, and her controlling chemicals that are in her blood pass the placenta and go into the fetus just as the nourishment does. And so that the, the fetus is getting like a, a, a view of the world via the mother's perception of the world. Mm. And why is this, this is relevant? Because the new epigenetics, how environment controls genes, means that parents are actually programming the genetic expression of the child while they're carrying it. But it also means this, midway through pregnancy, the mind is begin the brain is beginning to develop and record patterns and what it, re it can record patterns are, are the mother's emotions and the mother's feelings and the mother's beliefs and attitudes about life in the sense of is she in growth or protection for example and that changes so we start to get programs to respond a child that's not wanted actually in its subconscious mind knows that experience uh, before it's even born and but what happens is the first 6 years of life after the child is born the brain doesn't operate the way it does in us as adults because their brain activity, the EEG, as we as we talk, the brain activity, mm -hmm. the uh, test that we use to measure brain activity, yeah, is is in what is called the hypnagogic uh, trance state. Mm -hmm. A child is downloading everything it observes, mm -hmm. and and so in other words, the fundamental behaviors we as children, when we were that age, mm -hmm. observed our parents or our peers or our family, and watched how they responded to the world, their behaviors, and recorded them as our fundamental programs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's why the Jesuits always say, give me a child until he is five and he is mine. We've often discussed that on this show. <laughs> well, that's exactly why it happened. Oh, yeah, they were good teachers. 
but but they, but they understood that. Mm. Oh, of course. Person, so well, if you're a good teacher, I suppose you observe as well as teach. Yes. Mm. And you use and, that information to to get your students to learn more. Mm. And, and better information, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, hopefully, we've also had on a psycho neuroimmunologist discussing the setup of little baby rats' brains compared, comparing mothers that were stressed with mothers that aren't stressed. So yeah. this is the science that you're talking about that's bringing this yeah. information to the fore. This is not just, you know, made-up spiritual hocus-pocusy, new-agey sort of stuff. This is the science that's happening now. Well, this, this is right, and that's why yeah. you know, I put it okay. in that biology of belief because I don't, want to, I don't want it to come across as new-agey fluff. I, mm. What this is is I, I, I wasn't new-agey. Mm. Exactly. I, I, was, I didn't believe in spirit. I didn't believe in this stuff. But it was understanding when, this, when I understood the nature of the mechanism, how the cell worked, it was like uh, it, it was a moment of transformation because I, when, the moment I, I saw it, it was like two plus two is four. Mm. Before I said, you know, I said two plus two, and I, at that moment I was still like a scientist and this is a yeah. mechanism. Yeah. And by the time I got to four, it was, oh my goodness, we're controlled by invisible energy fields outside of the body. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh. which, is, which is, you know, what, what people have been trying to tell the scientists for a very long time. I guess they're just really happy that you finally caught up. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it not only but the, but the best part was that at first it was just scientific stuff, but then I realized that well, if this was true, if I apply this principle to my life, then I should have some measure of control, and and that to me was the great excitement because when all of a sudden I actually applied the principles that I learned from the cells, my life changed on a dime, and and to be honest, at this very point now in my life, I actually person and believe that if there is a heaven hmm. we're actually in, in it, it right yeah now. well that's our duty to create it heaven on earth well, absolutely and that creation part is your, our mind and so yes. if we understand the programming yes. and, and, and let, people should know this so that, that they get an understanding we have programs in our subconscious mind that i'm talking about they got built in there before we were even consciously uh at the brain function of consciousness hmm. which begins around six so a lot of the stuff in our programs we weren't even aware of. We just got programmed. And, and then here's the, the other part, is when the subconscious is doing its programs, we really never pay attention to it. It's sort of like it goes on in the background and we don't see it. And that's why, it, let's say if you know somebody and you know their parent and you, and you see that their behaviors are much the same and then you have the audacity to say to this person, you know you're just like your mom or you're just like your dad and these people sort of look at you like you know, like in shock, like, how can you say that? Mm. And, and the thing is, what well, you observe, and you see both of them, and the question is, how come they didn't see it? And that's the important mm. clue for us, mm. is that mm. when the subconscious is playing, we don't see it, mm. and therefore we don't yes. even know if... You're stuck in the creation, you can't observe it from the outside and decide that you want to change it. Although people do say to me, you know, that's exactly what my mother would have said or my father, and I never thought I'd say that, and I really don't want to keep saying that, but I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> and that's a, but those are the programs, and those are the automatic. Oh, yeah, and sure, and they know it, and they know that they're about... I mean, 
I think that we're at a very affluent, wonderful stage. We're no longer starving and we're no longer dying of infectious diseases and we're no longer clobbering, well, we're kind of clobbering each over, over the head, but in a more distant, remote sort of um, sense. And perhaps, you know, that's not all of us I know. There's a, there's a whole group of people out there whom actually we have a duty of responsibility to, to bring this to, to fruition because we do now, don't we, have the opportunity to alter these patterns of behaviour. If we want to, it's just amazing new opportunities and new and new technologies. Uh, things that are uh, some modalities that are called uh, energy psychology, uh, which are really based on the new kind of physics and mm. fields and energy and working with energy patterns rather than focusing on the physical body. Uh, uh, things like um, uh, body talk and avatar and psych K and EMDR, EFT, TFT. These are there's a whole range of them and all of them profoundly influence the programming uh, and allow us, rather than just to be the recipient of programs, that we can edit the program and we can create a new program which, when doing so, creates a new biology and a new behavior and a new life. Mm. And so it would be fair to say that our behavior is reflected in our cells and vice versa? How we're behaving is how the cell's behaving and that, you know, maybe functional or dysfunctional? Absolutely, because see, this is the difference. When in the old belief that genes control it, if there's anything that's dysfunctional, it's because the mechanism was defective. Like you bought a car and you call it a lemon, but the new biology says if there was something defect, you know, that's defective in a sense, it actually is a reflection of uh, of a way we're responding to life. That if we change that way we respond, then that will repair and heal itself again. Uh, and this becomes important because this is how people have always essentially uh, healed themselves by changing their their beliefs or attitudes about life. I mean, people that have terminal cancer, people counting them out, saying this person's on their deathbed, and mm. all of a sudden this person changes their attitude and belief or whatever mm. and gets up and has what's called a spontaneous remission. That mm. is a realistic understanding of how changing a perception can have an immediate and profound effect. And all of those people say, I don't know, I just didn't believe I was going to die. I just knew I wasn't going to die. All of them, that's the common experience. I mean, they talk about juicing and meditation. I mean, all of them, it seems to be they meditate or pray. But all of them say, I just didn't believe I was going to die. It just wasn't my time to die. It's very profound. I mean, and it's interesting because people even set their own death. I mean, like, I remember George Burns was perfect because he said, I'm going to be, I'm going to live to be a hundred. Yeah. And he lived to be a hundred and died the day after. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, they've done this brilliant study in China looking at, uh, I don't know, it's significant if you live to the new year. You have to sort of get through the new year and it's cool. It's okay then to die after that. And, you know, in China, there's all these people do survive until that time. But I have noticed lately too when people come in and they're very concerned, I'm a GP, and they're very concerned about particular symptoms and things and we talk about, you know, could this have any relationship to when your parent died, particularly if a parent died young. And it's fascinating. Or they get sick at the same time of year, every year, whether it be a cold or, a, you know, it, it's just fascinating, this stuff. When you, when you look at it through different eyes, which I guess is yeah. what we're trying to do, we're trying to shift the consciousness here on how you view dis-ease or unwellness. It becomes a fascinating new way of looking at it. It's like it's an opportunity <laughs> to, to alter your life in a positive direction. And, and these things are passed through families. Almost, these beliefs and behaviours are 
passed almost like they were genes. And here's an interesting experiment. Uh, not experiment. It's actually statistics. They looked at um, uh, when cancer is running in a family, you know, it's like everybody believes that this yes. is a genetic thing. Oh, sure. And then they wanted to find about adopted kids. Right. And here's what they found. When an adopted kid got into a family in which cancer was running in the family, that child had like 50% or more, 100%, a big number of possibility mm. of getting a cancer. And then when you go back and look, that their adopted family had no cancer in it, that these people getting into the family will get the same cancer that the family gets. And basically what it says is, well, they came in with a different complete set of genes, but it was what was passed down. And what we really haven't owned is that our physical health is a reflection of the of the way that we're we're running our biology and it's not a it's not something that breaks and our mind gets caught up and it's our mind is involved with controlling it and and that becomes i mean they call it the placebo effect hmm. and it's the same it, the placebo effect means if you believe that something like a pill is going to make you get better and you you believe in this pill you get better uh, the, the biggest example of placebo effect is Prozac which has, scientifically is no better than a sugar pill in uh, its function, and that's a scientific test that reveal that. From in, the, in depression, you mean? In mild to moderate depression? Right, and it mm-hmm. really is the belief system because the, the drug doesn't have that effect, but p- enough people believe that this is going to make it work, and their belief really gets them to get better because it turns out it isn't the chemical that did it. And why this is also important is, that we have to recognize, yeah, but the placebo effect works in two directions. Mm. That one is that I give you something very positive to think about and you get better. And in fact, the, there's a medical term for the other side is called the nocebo effect. And that says, if I tell you something negative or give you an anticipation of something that is not really positive at all, that after telling you that, you will have a tendency to experience the negative or that less positive thing. Uh, it's the exact same power as the placebo but it works in the opposite direction Mm. yes unfortunately i find we do we are compelled to do that quite a lot as medicos these days you know you you you're supposed to apply these screening tests like mammograms and things and a lot of the information that comes back is negative you know people are not structurally perfect and they perceive that imperfection as being precancerous or something which you know is uh, i find one of those uh, situations but it exactly is because now if i focus on the cancer mm. with a fear yes uh then i actually and this is my work on stem cells reveals this that the environment controls the development of the cells and so if my cells are in my body and they're getting an environment of fear mm. and, and this concern and the focus is of cancer, it's almost like, you know, like you're telling your body, this is what I want. Not that you're consciously saying that, right. but the information that the cells read is that. And, that, and that's why we find, uh, look, the Cancer Society of the United States has spent billions of dollars looking for cancer genes and has never really found one. And an interesting thing, in a big turnabout this last summer, came out with an amazing, you know, uh, pronouncement saying that 60%, and that was a, a first estimate, 60% of cancer is totally avoidable by changing lifestyle and diet. Hmm. And, and why is this important? Because it says, after looking for how genes give us cancer, it turns around and says, no, 
it's the way we live that gives us cancer. So the environment, which is epigenetics, yeah. And, and, that's an and what parameters do they suggest that we change besides diet? Uh, well, it, it, the idea is the lifestyle of, of stress levels and, right. uh, and how to deal with a stress. Yeah, and exactly. And recognize that, that stress is the primary agent of weakening of the biology. It's a mm. primary agent. Of weakening of the immune system, according to my... shuts down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it dysregulates it, is, is probably well, it the best way of saying. And particularly if you've been stressed as a fetus, it oh, would appear from right. what we know from psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you haven't got a great system set up for stress, then, yeah, it's going to be a bother for you. Uh, and it, and it, it's very, it, yeah, because that is the pr- is recognized by medicine now at least to be one of the primary causes of the illnesses that we face, our stresses that just affect different people at different places in their body, sort of like the weak link wherever their mm. body holds that stress. Yeah, where they, wherever their Achilles heel is. You talk about in the book the cellular, cellular membrane as being how we interface with the environment and that it's kind of like a liquid crystal or microchip. Yes. And is that where we can have an effect with our beliefs as the programmer of that that microchip? This is this is exactly what the conclusion of the book totally reveals. Is that uh, when I understood the nature of the cells, I, it really that they're programmable chips that they can mm. become a bone cell, a muscle cell, a fat yeah. cell, you know anything. But the cell, question yeah. is, is the program built into the nucleus of the genes? Since that, that's what we originally thought, so that the, they will automatically become something because of the program. It turns out no. The program is designed to interact with the environment, so whatever the conditions of the environment are, it will adjust the function of the cell, mm. and, and then this is this epigenetic mechanism, and why that's important is that we generate environments with emotions and beliefs and perceptions and fear, for example, as you said, mm. changes, so we release the stress hormones, mm. and the stress hormones change body functions that, and shut down growth, and I mean, as physicians... Uh, they, they give people stress hormones to shut off their immune system mm-hmm. when they receive a graft of foreign tissue because uh, they don't want the graft to be rejected by the immune system. So they, they give the patient stress hormones. Well, if that's what they do in the experimental situation, what does that mean in our own day-to-day life when we have stress hormones? It's shutting down our immune system. Absolutely. There is just so much information involved with this entire new paradigm. It's fantastic, though, to begin discussions about it. If people want to continue their exploration, how can they do that? Well, um, I actually have a website that mm-hmm. uh, here's what I can provide on that for free downloads is that there are a number of articles on the science of what we've talked about, mm-hmm. and there are references to get articles, and, and their references are grouped into topics, and, and this, is, this will introduce you to the, uh, where this new science is and some of the new vision of what's going on. Fantastic. So would you mind giving us that website? Uh, yes, it's uh, www.brucelipton.com. Great, so that's B-R-U-C-E-L-I-P-T-O-N dot com. Fantastic. And it's all available for downloading. Oh, that's very generous of you. (laughs) I'm sure it leads you into lots of good experiences as well. Well, uh, I, yes, and, and uh, but it's what you're doing, and, and that's where we are now, uh, you know, collaborating as cells across the globe. Mm, absolutely. Network Do you think this might be the new multi-organism? I mean, you talked about the fact that we had single cells that kind of, you know, they kind of needed to group together to survive again, so the multicellular organisms came into being. Do you think maybe that's what this new step's about, forming community and helping each other, and that's how we're going to survive? 
that is what evolution is all about. Yeah. That's why the Internet uh, uh, yeah. is also very important yeah. because it allows every cell to be on the same page. Absolutely. In your body, you have 50 trillion cells, and when yeah. you're going to turn left, every cell knows you're going to go left because yeah. they're listening to the same voice. Yeah, and if you do it consciously, then then and 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 you're heading towards a better place, then yeah, that's that's how that'll all go. Thank you so much for your time and uh, and just really being you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I so appreciate that, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I'm Dr. Virginia Reed. Thank you very much for uh, joining our discussion today. I hope you find it as fascinating as I do. If you'd like that website, by all means, get in touch with us or you can pick up our show on our own website. And we all here at Wellbeing would like to say we wish you well.